Mac Power Users, episode 335, Workflows with John Voorhees. Hello, friends. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? I'm great, David. How are you? Excellent. We got another great workflow show. It's been a little while since we did one, and we have a super guest today. I can't wait to talk to him. But before we do so, there's a little bit of business we need to take care of. Very important Relay FM network business. Yeah, it's actually great news. Relay FM is turning two years old uh, next week, which is kind of exciting. And we are, uh, we've been asked to do a special show for members only. You know, there's a membership in Relay, and I know a lot of our listeners are members. So thank you. So yeah, thank you. And, and we've been given free reign to talk about whatever we want in the entire world for one episode. So we're going to talk about Windows. Yeah, Windows 95 and uh, Windows Mobile, and uh, maybe throw some Android in there too. Right. No? <laughs> what's, your, what's your favorite? Uh, I, mean, I can't even make jokes about Windows anymore. I don't remember any of it. But anyway, actually, what we're going to talk about is it's something. Tribbles that, and Droids. Yes. Yes. Tribbles and Droids. Uh, Katie and I have been going at each other over Star Wars and Star Trek now for something like six years. Right. We, and we said, hey, we get some time on the microphone where we don't have to talk about apps. So let's talk about Star Wars and Star Trek. So we're going to kind of tell our origin stories, why we love these series, what we like and don't like about them, our favorite parts of them. And um and just, it's just going to be a fun geek show of Mac Power users. Yeah, it's really liberating because we have kind of this special show where there there are no rules, there are no holds barred. Um, and this was actually I sent out a tweet, and this a couple of our listeners suggested a Star Wars Star Trek show, and it might get into a little Star Wars versus Star Trek, but I, I think the bottom line is Dave and I both love each, so we're going to talk a little bit about why. How did we first get into it? Why? What made us love it? What What do we love about it? What do we not like about it. Um, And so if you have any particular questions that you want us to answer on the show, uh, send us a tweet to at Mac Power users, and we'll try to include some of those. But we need to mention that this is only a show for Relay FM members. And so there are two ways that you can do that. Uh, you can go to relay.fm slash MPU. That will take you to the Mac Power Users page on Relay FM. And you'll see a couple of options. You can uh, subscribe monthly or you can subscribe to an annual pass. And you can either subscribe directly to Mac Power Users or you can subscribe to all the great shows. Now, if you subscribe directly to Mac Power Users, uh, then your support, less the, the fees that the membership system involves, comes directly to David and I. And we thank you very much for that. If you subscribe to all the great shows, uh, then your support gets distributed and divvied among all of the hosts on the network. If you have, you know, a bunch of shows that you listen to on Relay and you just can't choose, that's a great way to support all of the the hosts on Relay. And whether either of those options that you subscribe to, you will get access to all of these wonderful member shows. And uh, I can't wait to hear what some of the other people are putting out for their members only shows. Yeah, but just to set the record straight before we move on, I, I really like Star Trek. I love Star Wars. I really like Star Wars, but Star Trek is my first love. You said I love them both. I just have to make clear. Love is, I I can't give my love away that easily. I love Star Wars. Anyway, okay, let's move on. So our secret guest today is my pal and yours, John Voorhees. John, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a lot, David. It's great to be here. It's nice to uh, finally talk to you and Katie, and I appreciate you inviting me to the show. Yeah, well, John and I uh, always find each other at, 
at WWDC. Katie can appreciate this. I'm not sure why this happens, but John is uh, is is really the uh, the prototypical Renaissance man. He's an app developer. He's a writer over at Mac Stories. He's also an attorney, right? And so I did not know that part. Yeah. So so what happens is. Uh, when Katie and I first met so many moons ago, everybody's like, oh, you guys are both lawyers. You should be friends. And they pushed us together. <laughs> I think <laughs> exactly it, whenever, right. whenever I'm in a big party at WWC, John and I always end up fighting each other. <laughs> we can share a few war stories. Because nobody uh, else wants to talk to the lawyers in the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just push us aside. But we can talk war stories on, on both ends of our lives. So that's kind of fun. But but John is really a, um, really a, a grade A nerd on top of it all. So... Uh, we've been talking kind of offline a little bit. I'm thinking you know, we got to have John on and just kind of talk about some of the cool stuff he's doing with his Macs and his iPads and his iPhones and his Apple watches. Just one Apple watch or two? Just one. All the great tech though. Got a little bit of everything. The, the other thing I love about John is his son, at least one of them I know is very much into development as well. That's right. So every time for the first couple of years I met you at WWC, every time I'd say, Hey, where's your son? Uh, he's back in the room coding. It's like, I felt like you had like this little like mobile sweatshop you were carrying with you. <laughs> it, it, it sometimes feels like that. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of those parties, you know, at WWDC are 21 over. So he, that's usually where he is when I see you out at a social event is he can't get in. So he's got a couple more years to go before he can uh, actually have fun and party with us in the evening. Well, I, I did have pancakes with Johnson and he is on his way to Berkeley and he's a very smart young man. So I, I assume at some point he's going to be telling us all what we're supposed to be doing. I think so. Okay, well, let's get started. Uh, so I, I kind of give you a little overview. So John uh, is a writer over at Mac Stories. He does a lot of their kind of feature article stuff on apps and news in the Apple community. Um, uh, your your law practice is, I believe, John, you have to tell me, what is your focus for your law practice? It's a bankruptcy, corporate bankruptcy, to be uh, to be specific. That's sexy. That's sexy. Yeah, it, it really is. It's uh, it's the dark side of business, really. I mean, we I represent mostly uh, large institutional lenders, you know, banks and that sort of thing, uh, in big bank, big corporate bankruptcies, trying to get their loans back, basically. Okay, so you're doing that, which is probably very, um, very enterprisey. And then you're home writing apps in your free time and writing for Federico over at Mac Stories. That's got to be quite the yin and yang to keep you balanced. It, it, it is. Sometimes it's a little hard to switch modes from one to the other. I mean, I, I, I got to admit, it's uh, it can be hard to go from one, you know, writing in the morning to working on uh, in Word and, and in a Windows environment and uh, doing lawyer stuff during the day. But I've gotten pretty good at switching back and forth at this point. It's rough, too, because like like my my practice is, you know, small business, medium sized business is usually very proactive. It's like you're moving the ball forward for them. Right. Bankruptcy's just got to suck a lot out of you because it's just so depressing. And, you know, everything failed. And here we are trying to pick up the piece. Yeah. I, the hardest thing about it usually is when I do a really good job, it just means that my clients have lo- lost less money. So, yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, they're never really happy. They're just less unhappy. Yeah, exactly. But um, you're also a big Apple guy. How long have you been using Apple hardware? Uh, since about 2004. Four, I think it is. So not not terribly long. Um, so that was shortly before the Intel switch. Yeah, actually, right after. Um, so maybe it was at the end of two thousand and four, early two thousand and five. But it was we got the very first Intel plastic white iMac was the first Mac I owned. Got the white one, not the black book. Oh, this was it was iMac actually. Not oh, iMac. I'm so, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
the one with the clear keyboard tray. So you could see like all the pieces of hair and <laughs> right. uh, crumbs and everything in the bottom, if I remember correctly. It, especially with kids, it looked uh, pretty nasty after after a year or so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so what type of hardware, before we get into what, what all the stuff you know, what kind of hardware are you carrying these days? Yeah, so my, my main machine right now on the Mac side is a 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro that I got, I guess, summer of 2015, right before I went off to WWC that year. Um, and then I've got an iPad Pro 12.9-inch and a big iPhone 6S Plus because I like big screens, and then just an Apple Watch Sport. So that's those are my main devices. Right I think now. if you're going to pick one computer, like just if you're not going to be like the iMac Plus something... The 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro is a pretty good decision. Yeah, it's a real nice machine. I mean, we have a family iMac that my kids use, but at this point, I'm actually considering going away from desktops entirely because my two oldest sons, uh, one who's in high school and one who's going off to college, both have their own MacBook Airs, um, and so that that iMac sits idle a lot of a lot of the time um, because I've got the uh, MacBook Pro as well, and I find the MacBook Pro that extra bit of screen size really helps when you're working in something like Xcode because Xcode's just kind of a giant program. And the more you can see at one time, the better. That would seem to be like an argument in favor of using the iMac. It is, except that I, I work in a lot of different locations throughout the day. So at home, I don't have one now, but I would like to get an external monitor and just hook up my laptop when I'm home to an external monitor. And then when I'm away from home, just use the, uh, you know, use the laptop. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I kind of, I've forgotten. I mean, when I was going into an office every day, I had a 15 inch MacBook Pro for years. And that was the reason because I was working wherever I could be. Yeah, I have all sorts of places I work. I work right now. I'm sitting in my basement in a corner at a little desk recording. And this is where I record. Is that, is that your sound booth? It's kind of a sound booth. It's, yeah, I got you. It's, yeah. Uh, and I kicked my kids out. They can't play uh, No Man's Sky on the PS4 tonight. They're very unhappy. <laughs> but What a shame. Daddy's got to work. <laughs> I know. That game just came out at midnight last night, and they're very excited. So they'll they'll jump back down here as soon as we're finished. But, you know, I work down here. I work on various rooms in the house. I, walk, I work at coffee shops, at my office, just, just about anywhere, really. Now, are you, so you're all solid state at this point? Yes. Yes, all solid state, which I just absolutely love. I had an old MacBook um, from 2009 that I was using before that, and I had breathed new life into it in part by putting an SSD in it. And that 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 really gave it another 18 months of legs. The problem was that the, the battery was shot, even though I, had, I switched out and got a new battery. Uh, it just wasn't lasting as long as it used to. So I finally went with, you know, a nicer, a new nice Mac. So if you're, if that that's only about a year old, if you bought it, wwc 2015 right so you're probably not that interested in the the fancy new one that we keep hearing about coming in the next month or two i, I kind of plug my ears when i hear about it because i had held out for at least a couple of years hearing that you know thinking that the skylake chips were coming and thinking that we'd get a big revision and finally when they did i think right, it was right before i bought this one they did a a slight bump in the chip speeds and i just went for it because i i was at the point where i just needed a new computer Katie uh, went over to her app store. I think this is right, Katie. She um mm-hmm. she put two thousand dollars cash on the table and just said, "Just keep this <laughs> and send me the new MacBook when it comes out." Is that what you did? The MacBook Pro, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like ten minutes before we started recording today, my sister called me. She said, "Oh, you know, your niece is on her way to the Apple Store to get a new MacBook Pro. She's oh. she needs a new one." Oh. And I, I like. 
I was a little late getting on the microphone because I like I jumped for the phone. I'm like, don't buy it now. Wait, <laughs> wait. I know my son's waiting, too, because he really needs a new laptop and he's going off to school next week. But uh, he, he's just going to hold out and wait and see what happens with the uh, the MacBooks. So but you live in Chicago, right? Yep. I, well, I live in the suburbs. So you're commuting from the suburbs to the big city every day with that big, heavy MacBook Pro. Actually not. Only sometimes. I used to do it a lot more than I do now um, because a lot of my mornings these days are filled with writing for Mac stories. So what I typically do in the morning is I get up about quarter to five or so, and I'm usually writing by five or a little after five. And I write at home for maybe an hour and a half till about 630, quarter to seven. Uh, and then I walk down to the train station, listening to my favorite pod- podcasts uh, and sit in a Starbucks. And I sit in the Starbucks uh, writing some more on my iPad Pro, so I'm not carrying the the Retina MacBook Pro. Yeah, uh, I take the iPad Pro down to the the coffee shop, and I sit there. Depending on what my workday is going to look like, sometimes I, you know, we, trains are coming every 20 minutes or so. So if I'm in the middle of something and I'm really, you know, in a groove writing, I'll stay there for a little longer and take a later train, uh, and then then just start writing once I'm on the train as well. And that's going in the mornings about half an hour ride into the city. So I get a fair amount done before I even show up at the office. That's what I like. I, I like getting up first thing in the morning and knocking those types of things out. I find that I'm most productive during that time. And I know, you know, whether you're a morning person or night person, it, it varies. Yeah. It's the one thing that's really hard to do is both. Um, and I've found that exactly I, right. And I've found that I really can't, I mean, I'm, I'm freshest in the morning too. And I, I am more focused in knowing that I'm leaving the house at six thirty, quarter to seven, I have kind of a deadline, so I'll start something and I'll do everything I can to get at least like a rough draft of something done before I walk out of the house and then usually polish it up while I'm on the way in. And some, you know, I'll post things to Mac stories while I'm speeding down the tracks on the train heading into the city, because with, you know, with a cellular connection, it's easy enough to do that um, with the WordPress setup that we have. Yeah. And I I definitely want to get into that stuff and more nitty gritty and also just your balance between uh, iOS and Mac OS. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, now you've got the 12.9 inch iPad pro. Are you tempted at all by the smaller one? Um, a little bit, not, I, I'm not going with the uh, multi-pad lifestyle at this point, but, uh, <laughs> I love how that's just become a term now. Everybody's, I know it is. Yeah. It's a thing. And I know that you've got two now, David, I, I heard, uh, it's, recently. It's David's fault. <laughs> that's Mike's fault. Mike was actually on the phone with me outside the Apple store talking me through it, you know? Yeah, I was there when Federico bought his second one uh, in San Francisco. It was pretty funny. Um, but no, I, I am tempted by it, mainly because sometimes in the evenings, I like to sit in bed and either read and do some research for something I'm working on, or just read a book, or even take notes in something like Good Notes. And it's a little bit cumbersome to have the 12.9 inch iPad in bed. I'd like to have something smaller. Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I, I don't regret buying too i mean i do get i take i take um grief for it from people once in a while but i and and unlike a lot of the people that have two where they're like very disciplined they're like i only do this app on the big one and only do this type of work on the little one i know uh, cgp gray does that Mm -hmm. i i have most of the apps that i use on both and i just pick up the one that seems to make sense for whatever i'm doing yeah, I absolutely love the the Pro for writing. I mean, recently I did take my MacBook Pro back uh, downtown, and it just felt like a, a you know a brick compared to the iPad Pro. I uh, I had a um issue where I have these little um 
uh, cases I get from SF bags, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're little like sleeves. And there's a one that holds the iPad Pro and one that holds the MacBook. And I have them, like in my nightstand, I have a little charger. So they're both right next to each other all the time. And I was going out to a bunch of meetings and I grabbed my iPad Pro sleeve and I got to the first meeting and took it out and there was a MacBook in it. <laughs> you know, I, I grabbed the wrong sleeve. You need to have different colors. Well, I do. They actually, they're, they're both black. They don't have a lot of variation, but one has a brown stripe and one has a black stripe, but I was in a hurry and I just didn't notice. And, and, and strangely, the, the iPad Pro is bigger than the MacBook, which is kind of funny. Um, but the, um, I got in my first meeting and I realized, oh man, I got a Mac. And, and so I, I said, that's fine. I can work on the MacBook, but I hadn't been using it much because I just find I using the iPad so much for mobile stuff. And in the meeting, I was like trying to swipe the screen and I was just like, it's just a complete moron trying to figure out how to run this computer, which I've been using for years and years. (laughs) Yeah. Some mornings I find myself using both my Mac and my iPad Pro side by side for various reasons, like taking screenshots of an iOS app or something. And every now and then I'll just reach out and start trying to swipe the MacBook. I've never tried to swipe my Mac. I'm, it makes you feel pretty stupid. <laughs> I know. I just, I, I think I have not quite fully adopted the the iPad lifestyle as, as some of you have. But I will say now that I've moved to the uh, 9.7 inch iPad Pro, I, I am really enjoying it. I am really enjoying sc- split screen on it. And I've even gotten the external keyboard, which has uh, been very helpful with it. So I definitely see its advantages. I'm I'm using my Mac less now with the uh, 12, uh, excuse me, the 9.7 inch iPad Pro. But uh, I still love my Mac for for certain things. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you you don't have to choose a side. Yeah, you know? I almost I almost feel the need to apologize for it now. I know but, it uh, feels it feels like a holy war sometimes. I mean, it does. And 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 I I really stand with one foot in each camp because especially working at Mac Stories, since I still use Mac, I write a lot of the reviews on Mac software. So if I'm writing about a Mac app, I'm going to be, I'm going to be using my Mac so I can have it open and be referring back to it as I write a review. Right now, do you still do most of your writing at this point on the iPad or is that your preferred writing place or do you write on the Mac? I write on both really. Um, I think I prefer the iPad overall, but because I'm doing Mac software and things like that, um, or if I'm, I don't know, sometimes it's just the mood strikes me to be on the Mac versus uh, on on the iPad Pro. And I, I think I'm also part of it is too that I'm a little more comfortable in Pixelmator on the on the Mac than I am on the mm-hmm. iPad Pro. So if I'm doing um, combining a lot of screenshots, especially if it's Mac software, I'll I'll fire up Pixelmator and and do something in there for screenshots for an article. Now, I will probably get more into your writing workflow a little bit later, but I know you've also got the big iPhone, the uh, iPhone 6S Plus. Have you always been a big iPhone person? I, I'm seeing this trend of when when people go big, they tend to go big across the board. I mean, you've got the 15-inch MacBook Pro, the 12.9-inch iPad, the iPhone 6S Plus. Um, has that always been the case, that you've gravitated towards the larger devices, or do you find that's a new development? It's it's a new development for me. I, I got the phone before I got the iPad, and um, I got it primarily because I've found that there's a lot that I do, especially with Mac stories, that um, I do on my phone. And it's mostly the communicating with the team, um, Federico and the rest of the, the writers, because um, my law office has Wi-Fi. I'm up on the 40th floor, and we have Wi-Fi, but some, of the, some sites are blocked, sites like Slack. Trello and a lot of the tools we use. Um, so having a big iPhone, 
that can use cellular because there are cellular boosters on all the floors uh, is a good way to get around that and be able to communicate with the rest of the team. That makes sense. Yeah. And having a big screen just makes that so much easier. Yeah. And, and, um, that just gets, it seems like they increase the benefits of the larger phone with every iteration. Yes. Yes. And I, I, I'm not a big user of things like force touch, but I do like having it. I do like the haptic feedback. There's some nice things coming in iOS 10 with that. I think that Apple's really starting to expand, um, the types of things that give you feedback. Um, and I've really enjoyed using those while I've been on the betas. I want to thank our next sponsor, and that is Smile. With their amazing PDF Pen suite of apps, including PDF Pen for Mac, for iOS, and PDF Pen Scan Plus. You can learn more about PDF Pen by visiting smilesoftware.com MPU for details on the entire PDF Pen family. So you can engage your PDF Pen foo on all of your devices now. We've got PDF Pen for Mac, PDF Pen for iPad, PDF Pen for iPhone, and PDF Pen Scan Plus. So PDF Pen for Mac is the ultimate PDF editing tool. I use it daily. In fact, I have made it my default PDF app. And you know, lawyers, we work with PDFs a lot. But what is amazing is that you can have almost all of the same power that you have on PDF Pen for Mac in your pocket with PDF Pen for iPhone and iPad. Well, maybe it doesn't fit in David's pocket because he does have that massive iPhone, but it fits great in my pocket with my lovely iPhone 6. Then there's PDF Pen for iPad, and it has gotten some amazing updates recently. And if you haven't checked for updates, or if you haven't downloaded PDF Pen for iOS, you definitely want to do it because it really allows you to live the paperless lifestyle, especially if you have a new iPad Pro, because they have really upped their game on the iPad Pro with recent updates. And finally, there's PDF Pen Scan Plus. It adds scanning and OCR to your mobile kit. So you can snap a picture of a document. It will OCR all that text. You can even upload it to your mobile cloud services. And if you save it to like a Dropbox or a shared file, you know, you can use like all that Hazel Foo that we've been talking about on Mac Power users to automatically act on all of your files. It's really cool. So PDF Pen for iOS is a universal app. One purchase gets you both. And if you've got a new iPad Pro, they have recently introduced support for the Apple Pencil, which really makes the iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil the ultimate PDF editing machine. You can highlight documents. You can take notes in the margin. You can scribble things over on the side. You can underline. You can draw shapes. Anything that you want, the support is really great. And PDF Pen 8 also adds audio notes and file attachment support. So if you prefer to dictate or use your voice and save audio comments to files, you can do that as well. PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro 8 run well on the Mac OS Sierra beta because you know Smile is always on top of all those things. So you can go find out more information at smilesoftware.com MPU. And don't forget, you can get a free trial of the Mac version. So if you haven't tried it yet, what have you got to lose? Thanks, Smile, for your continued support of Mac Power users. All right. Well, let's talk about writing because that's, I mean, as a lawyer and a writer, uh, that's something you do a lot of. Yep, it absolutely is. And um, it's why writing at Mac Stories, I think, was fairly easy for me to fall into. It's obviously a very different style of writing. Uh, and that maybe took a little getting used to, especially when I start doing things like start doing things like game reviews, where there's a certain terminology and lingo that goes with that sort of thing. Um, but I picked it up pretty fast. Um, the, the, you know, the Mac Stories writing really grew out of my grew out of my development stuff, because I wrote an article, part of my marketing strategy for Blink, which is my iOS app, well, and it does affiliate linking with the iTunes affiliate program was to try to grow that market because there it's used a lot by tech bloggers, people who write about apps and that sort of thing, but not by a lot of other people. Um, and it's not used universally 
by writers who uh, do have tech, tech blogs and that sort of thing. So I wrote an, a guide to affiliate linking and I was trying to figure out where I was going to, where I was going to submit it and who I was going to have published it. Cause I could have put it on my own site, but I wanted to try to reach a broader audience if I could. And I happened to be at release notes last October with Mike Hurley and we were talking about it and he told me, you should give, you know, you should send it to Federico. And I told him, no, no, Federico doesn't want to publish this thing. And he said, no, just do it. So I did it. And he did. And before long, I was, you know, writing regularly on the site. It's kind of fun. You know, I mean, because I, I, when we first met, you were seriously into development. Right. And I still am. It's just and I'm juggling that. But writing is a lot easier for me with the day job because it's easy to pick up and put down. Yeah. Whereas, you know, development, you really need a big chunk of time. And I can do that. Um, but it's very hard if you're in the middle of something and you have to put it down and try to figure out where you were, or what you were thinking, where you left off. So uh, with writing, it's just I find it easier to start something, stop it you know, do it on my lunch break, do it on the way home, that kind of thing. So I can be a little more productive with writing, I think, with the with the schedule I have. Well, we are going to probably even as early as next week be covering long form writing tools on the show because there's been some developments. But I would like for you to kind of break down, let's just break down the the aspects of your life. I mean, the the professional lawyer guy and the tech blogger guy. Mm-hmm. And and maybe there is a difference. Maybe there isn't. What, what are the tools you're using for those two hats? Uh, it's very different for the day job um, as a lawyer. I've got a Windows system at work that is, you know, uh, Microsoft Office with Word and Outlook and those sorts of tools and Adobe Acrobat. And it's a very lockdown system that is not updated by me. And when it gets updated, any settings that I have set, you know, any preferences that I've changed, all get wiped out. Really? Yeah. You can't even like set a macro? <laughs> nope. Oh, I feel your pain. Yeah, I don't even bother anymore. Uh, so <laughs> there's not much to say there other than I don't like it. Super inefficient. <laughs> I, I could say some stuff without even yeah. having been there. The, what I can accomplish on my Mac outpaces what I can accomplish on my work system by far uh, because I've just, you know, I'm able to kind of bend the tools to my own will and my own style of working on the Mac, which, and on iOS. So, um, I don't, you know, I don't have much to say beyond that on the, on the day job. Well, well, just real quick. Um, there's a lot of folks out there who have day jobs like you, where they, they're stuck using that PC. Um, like, don't you have access to like Microsoft word on your iPad pro? I do. I do. And does that get you into your office documents or are they locked down so hard you can't even do that? <laughs> uh, they just recently got locked down so hard that I can't even do that anymore. Because mm. when I get uh, when I get it, what I can do at home is I can VPN on a Mac into into the um, Windows system. But then I'm essentially using Windows on a Mac. Yeah, Or you could do the same thing with an iPad Pro. Right. Exactly. You, I can do that on both systems. And I've done that. Um, but, you know, now my my email is such that if I get an attachment, um, all the share sheet stuff is locked, locked off. So I can't, I can't open it in another program. I can open it into, into like a viewer program that has some basic editing tools in it. Uh, but that's it. Dave is having PTSD flashbacks right now. I am. I am. <laughs> I, I remember they made me use this software that I, it counted it took like eight clicks to like do something that should have taken one. Yeah, I think when I send an email, it takes like eight clicks because there's all these special checks. And are you sure you want to send this just to make sure people don't accidentally send things to the wrong places and to strip out metadata and all that stuff? You know, I mean, it's all in the name of security and it's um, good for the clients. But uh, sometimes I feel like uh, security comes first and 
and you know what it takes to help people do their jobs and do them efficiently and more easily comes second, which I don't agree with, but it's what I have to deal with. Okay, so that part of the conversation was kind of short. <laughs> <laughs> and he's done talking about that now. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I don't know what to say. I mean, because there are, if you have a PC at work, there are really great options now. Like if you're, if you're living the iPad Pro lifestyle, I mean, you can, the Microsoft Word is perfectly adequate for most things. And it, yep. it, it, the documents that are written in one open just fine on the other. But you don't get you don't get any of those advantages. Not really anymore. Um, hopefully they'll start adding that back now that they've locked down the email um, further, um, more than they had in the past. Um, I will occasionally write something on my iPad or my or my Mac outside of the office system and email it in. Basically, yeah. Um, so, you know, start it outside the system, like a text file. Yeah, exactly. Just do like a plain text file if it's a letter or an email or some document. But um, but you know, once it's in that in that system, in that Windows system, in our own special document system for organizing documents, it's very hard. You can't really go back and forth. There's no way to kind of to import and export it very easily. All right. So let's put on the nerd hat then. Let's go over to the nerd side. Yeah, the good stuff. I I bet you got some good ideas for that. Yeah. um, You know, most of my articles and things I write on Mac stories have really a few components. It's the, there's obviously the text, um, and then there's screenshots and links. And I have used a variety of different, different text editors over the years. Um, I'm still a big fan of Byword and I still use that some, um, and I've used one writer in the past as well, but recently, partly because I want to have the same system or a very similar system on both iOS and Mac, I've been using Ulysses. Um, I was kind of a reluctant convert to that because the first time that I encountered it was um, Federico had edited something that I wrote and he sent it back to me and he was just learning Ulysses at the time. And it did some really strange things with all my my links and footnotes, mainly because Federico didn't have it set up uh, properly for the way we work. Um, And so I I was I was like, you know, I'm not going to use this thing. Um, But I I have moved to it and now they have just and I won't we won't get into too many details because I know you guys are talking about this soon, but they have the ability now to publish directly to WordPress, which has been amazing. Um, because typically when when I have a, a plain text, I write in Markdown, and when I have a document open and I want to publish it, I'll go to a, a browser and I'll open up our implementation of WordPress and I'll paste in the title, then I'll paste in the body, and then I'll do some, you know, I'll add a category, like whether it's news or a review or a linked post, and then some tags. And so that's like maybe a five-step process or so. Um, but with the ability to pro- publish to WordPress directly from Ulysses now, I can do it really in just by pressing one button because uh, the categories and tags and things are handled through the keyword field in the sidebar that you can open up. Uh, and then it, there are various other settings. When you hit publish, it puts pulls up a dialog to get lets you, you know, pick different settings. And you hit publish, and it you do I publish as a draft, so it opens up um, the browser immediately and shows me the draft in WordPress, and I can then preview it. And once I'm ready, hit the actual publish button. So it's it's really sped things up. Yeah, I, I'm glad you're sharing that because we're going to be covering kind of the pros and cons of Ulysses and Scrivener and probably some other long form tools, but neither one of us are publishing to WordPress. You know, so I don't really have a lot of experience with that feature. And I know it's a brand new feature that they've added to Ulysses. 
Yeah, it's really nice that it's built in. I mean, Federico had developed a, a WordPress uh, plugin or a, a workflow workflow a workflow action um, for publishing to WordPress uh, that works pretty well too. But it's just nice to be able to do it right from within the app itself. I, I think the community needs to reach some kind of agreement on there's there's the thing on iOS called the workflow app. Yes. And in it, you make workflows. So I think we just all have to agree whenever you say I have a workflow workflow. Yes. That's actually the most descriptive way to explain it. Right. It is. And and most of what I, I guess what I'll be talking about today is the workflow app because we use that pretty extensively. I would imagine with a guy like Federico in charge that you use workflow quite a bit. It, it, yeah, it, it's pretty convenient just to count, to use the same apps that Federico's using because he's obviously spent a lot of time building workflows and things that then are to the you know for the benefit of all of us who are writing with him. You mean workflow workflows? Yeah, workflow workflows. <laughs> now, now, what about uh, with Ulysses? With all these like big long form writing tools, there, there's a lot of advantages to them. One advantage or disadvantage in my mind has always been collaboration. None of them are very good at collaboration. Yeah. Uh, how are you guys managing that with something like Ulysses? Well, we have a very interesting collaboration process. What we do is we have a Mac Stories GitHub repo. And when there's an article, not every single thing I write goes through any kind of editorial process with Federico or anybody else. Um, so, uh, link posts and things like that, I usually just publish. But if I'm working on something longer, I also I just like having a second set of eyes on it. And Federico likes to look at them. So when we're doing something like that, um, we have a series of folders in a GitHub repo. There's like one for Club Mac stories. There's one for just me and Federico. And I know he's got one for him and, and the other writers on the site. And what we do is we use on iOS an app called Working Copy. Uh, Working Copy is a, a GitHub client. So you can do an open in from within Ulysses and send Markdown into working copy and then synchronize it so it's up on github and then when it does that we have it connected to slack so it'll send out a notification and everybody will see that someone has published something and then like for instance federico knows that i just put something on github he knows he can go take a look at it and mark it up um, and then that's kind of the second piece of the puzzle is actually dealing with edits. Um, but as far as actually sharing, it's all a matter of GitHub. And um, so on iOS, it's working copy. And on the Mac, I use GitHub has actually its own free app that you can download from their website. And I use that on the Mac. Can we just unpack that just a little bit more? Yep. Um, so the um, the working cop. So when you're in Ulysses, there's an export function. Yes. Where you're exporting the work, the markdown text into, into working copy. There's no, there's no like direct connection between the apps. It's just like sharing in any other application, but you're sending the markdown to working copy. Is that right? Right. On, on both Mac and iOS, what you can do with a Ulysses document is you can preview it and you can preview it in HTML or plain text or a bunch of different formats or PDF, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I'll preview it as plain text a markdown plain text, um, which opens up its own window or sheet if you're on iOS that shows you the markdown. Because because Ulysses uses its own uses its own kind of special flavor of of markdown syntax, but yeah. It, and just to interrupt there for a second, yeah. are you writing in you know markdown as John Gruber intended it, or are you writing in Ulysses style markdown? Ulysses style markdown, because that's what it that's really that's really 
going with the flow of the app. Okay. Uh, and, and then exporting to Gruber style or multi markdown, actually, I guess, because we're using footnotes and things like that. Okay. And then working copy actually stores its data on GitHub. Is that correct? Yeah, what it does is it's kind of it acts as as both a viewer of what's on GitHub, just like if you went to the GitHub website, you could see um, all the different folders for all the different authors that we've got set up. Um, it acts as a viewer to that and, and also handles the transfer back and forth. And, you know, GitHub is not really a synchronization system. It's all based on pushing and pulling, which means you have to kind of keep track of where where you've got your documents and where they're where they're um where they're updated because when I'm working on my Mac if I use the GitHub app what I'll do is I'll save it out to a folder in my in my on my Mac and then the GitHub app will I'll, I'll hit sync and it'll synchronize it up to the GitHub website and then when Federico sees the notification on his end he'll sync and it'll pull it down to his device, whether it's his iPad or his, it's his iPad. I mean, who are we kidding, right? It's not his Mac. <laughs> now, do you ever run into like crashes or conflicts when you guys don't, you get it out of order? Yeah, you can, you can run into conflicts sometimes. Um, the, the situation where I, and then you have to just go in and uh, fortunately working copy and most GitHub clients have a way to kind of look at side by side different versions that, cause it, it has a versioning system and you can kind of pick and choose. And that way you can fix any conflicts. The kind of situations where that might happen is for instance, say I started an article on my iPad and forgot to sync it up. And then I, work on it on my Mac and make some other changes. And now I've got two copies. And when I, if I synchronize them both, they might be kind of out of order and can cause problems that way. Or, or also wouldn't you have the problem with Federico and you were, you just, both of you went to edit it simultaneously or. Yes, exactly. But the nice thing about GitHub is that he, he's working, he'll be working. You're always working locally. So he'll be working locally on a copy that he's pulled down from GitHub. And so I know, I mean, we, we communicate over Slack, so he knows, he knows that I've done it. I know that he's working on it. And then when he's done and uploads it, then I'll get a notification that Federico has, you know, just committed this document back up to GitHub. And I know that means he's changed it and I can go in. And one of the nice things about working copy is that it has syntax highlighting for markdown and for changes. So you, I can look on my iPad or my Mac and, or on my iPad, since it's an iOS app and see exactly what he changed. Katie and I used to do this thing when we first started Mac power users, where we would share an outline file and it was not a collaborative, like now we use Google docs for this mm -hmm. and we would have, we would have a text file that we would put in the folder with the outline and we would just put a flag on it, a red flag or a green flag. It was like hanging a sock on the door back in college. <laughs> you know? you know, so if, if I went in there and the text file had a red flag on it, I know, okay, Katie has now reserved the, the file and she's doing stuff on it. And when it turns green, I can go back in. And that worked. But it, it, all this stuff feels to me like it's just like, as I was listening to it, I was thinking, is this something we can recommend to listeners? And I'm thinking probably not, because you got to be super nerds to make sure this thing works and doesn't break. Yeah, it, it, the one thing about it is it's way more tool than you really need for writing. It's it's designed for programmers, right? I mean, usually if you're if you're using GitHub as a developer, 
you will, you're using it in a team and there'll be hundreds of files up there for an iOS app, say. Um, and it's a way of keeping track of versions and who's working on what and where the changes are. It's, um, you know, writing's a lot more simple. There's a lot fewer files and there are a lot fewer changes than there are in code a lot of times. So it's more tool than you need, but there are a decent number of people, I think, doing this. This is not kind of necessarily unique to us. Um, and it is kind of a nice way once you get your head around how GitHub works. Um, it was funny because despite the fact that I'd been doing development before I started writing at Mac stories, I'd never really used GitHub that much. I mean, I had used it in order to kind of synchronize and keep copies of my app that I was working on, on multiple Macs. Um, but I had never used it with other people where other people were changing things and, and committing them back up to GitHub. Yeah. Cause you're a solo shop. You're developing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So it took a little bit getting used to that. Um, but once I got my head wrapped around it, um, it's worked really well. The one thing and the one piece of it that um, we've added very recently has been that that had been a problem before is even more so than running into conflicts is that say um, Federico leaves a note in once I committed up to GitHub, Federico leaves a note saying uh, you need to expand this section or something like that. Um, the, the issue is that once you're in Markdown, regular Markdown, it's hard to, I find it kind of cumbersome to get that back into Ulysses because they use a different flavor of markdown. Yeah. So what I'm doing now is tech textastic just came out with an update about a week or two ago that works with working copy and textastic is a, it's a code editor. Um, programmers use it. You can also, but it's like BB editor or something. You can use it to write in a lot of people write in text editors like that. And what it can do is it can it can um, edit things in place on GitHub. So I can create in the sidebar of Textastic where you open up documents. I can synchronize it with GitHub the GitHub folders that I work with other people on at Mac Stories, and just tap on that. It'll open up a list of all the documents that are in there. I can select one. And it opens in Textastic, and then I can just start cha making changes, and it's making the changes live on GitHub right there. So it's easy in that last stage where there might be a handful of edits to do to just make them in place. But you still have the problem of getting it turned back into Ulysses-style markdown, don't you? Only if I were to go back to Ulysses. But what I do is I don't go back to Ulysses. What I do is... I thought you published through Ulysses, don't you? Um well, I, not always. Okay. <laughs> not in this kind of situation. I don't only where it's something usually where I'm, um, I'm working on my own without having anybody uh, edit it. Makes sense. Yeah. So how, yeah, so that's been, that's been nice. I'm sorry. How much history stays up in GitHub only until the show is, or only until the story is published or. Uh, it's up there forever. Really. It's, it's a, it's basically our repository of everything that's on Mac stories at this point. We've only been using it since uh, maybe January or something like that early, early this year. Um, and, and they're, those copies are not always exactly what's on the web because, you know, you put something on in WordPress and you might make a few last minute tweaks right in the, in the editor, in the, uh, the browser. So it might be a little different on the web, but it's pretty close to the canonical version. Um, and what we do is we just have a folder called like archive. And so once you're done with, once something's published, you just kind of drag it into the archive and only keep the, um, the, the documents that we're working on at any one time, you know, at the top level. 
This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Fujitsu. Get a top-notch document scanner for your Mac, iPad, or iPhone at budurl.me ssmpu. We talk a lot on the Mac Power Users about paperless workflows, and a key component of any paperless workflow is a top-notch scanner. If you're looking for a way to turn all that paper in your house into digital bits, the Fujitsu ScanSnap is the answer. Fujitsu makes multiple ScanSnap scanners in differing sizes. Today, I'd like to talk about the S1300i. It's the right solution if you're someone who wants to use your scanner on your desktop, but also have it portable at the same time. The S1300 is a little smaller than the desktop iX500, but it can still sit on your desk just fine. It's both portable and powerful. The S1300 can scan 12 pages per minute, and it has a sheet feeder built right in. The device itself has two scanners, one on the top and one on the bottom, so if you have a double-sided piece of paper, it'll scan both sides with one pass. Best of all, it can be USB-powered, so if you're on the road and you've got your laptop, you don't even need to find a power outlet to get some scanning done. You get all of this, and it comes with the great Fujitsu ScanSnap software, which automatically does optical character recognition. It works with many cloud services like Dropbox, Evernote, Google Docs, and even lets you set profiles for different types of scanning jobs, like if you have single scans or batch scans. If your documents are larger than legal size, that's not a problem either. The Fujitsu ScanSnap software can easily scan and then stitch together larger images. They've got other scanners like the iX500 for the desktop or the iX100 that's the ultimate portable scanner. But if you need a scanner that you want to use on the desktop but also make portable, look no further than the S1300i. Fujitsu's been a sponsor of the Mac Power users for a few years now, and we've heard from so many listeners that bought one and just love it. To learn more about the Fujitsu ScanSnap, head over to budurl, that's B-U-D-U-R-L, dot me slash S-S-M-P-U. If you end up getting your ScanSnap from some other source, make sure to drop Fujitsu a tweet or an email letting them know you heard about it here on the Mac Power users. Thank you so much to Fujitsu for sponsoring the Mac Power users. John, you also said that you do a lot of uh, work with the images and the links. Is that all done through Ulysses or are you using other apps for that? Um, using other apps for that. When I'm on my Mac, I, I think I mentioned before, I use Pixelmator. Um, a lot of times I do a, a regular game review every Saturday morning on the site. And usually what I'll do there is a lot of games are just a lot are better on an iPad. So a lot of times I'll take uh, four screenshots and just pull them into Pixelmator and put them in a grid uh, and then export them as PNG, one PNG that I can upload onto the site. Um, we have a couple of ways of actually getting things on the site. Um, one is a web app where you just, it's it's very simple web app. You just go in, hit this big plus button, it lets you load in a, in a file and then you upload it and then you copy the, um, you copy the, the, uh, the link from the CDN because it goes up to Rackspace where it's stored and optimized. And then you drop the link in Ulysses. So we don't actually, the, the images themselves are not going into the text editor ever. It's always it's links to them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a link. So Pixelmator is one big tool that I use. Uh, oh, the, the other, I guess the other way to get things up onto Rackspace is a Pythonista script that again Federico developed, which is pretty handy because uh, it's it's just a lot faster than going through um, a web browser. So use that sometimes as well if I'm on iOS. 
And now, are you, when you said you make them into a grid, is this being done on the Mac or iOS? On the Mac, usually just because I'm a little more comfortable with Pixelmator on the Mac. You know, I, I, it's really just a, a pretty simple process of creating a rectangle that's the optimal width for the column size on the website and then resizing four screenshots to fit into a grid with equal amount of space between them and, you know, transparent background. So it, it just, the background of the site, which is white, really just shines through. Um, so it's, it's pretty, it's pretty simple image editing. It's funny. Cause I, I do a, all my image editing in Pixelmator as well. And I found that I really prefer doing it on the iPad with the pencil. Uh, but, but it's a little different kind of editing. I'm like removing zits and, you know, resizing and that kind of stuff that makes, I think maybe more sense with the pencil than what you're doing. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm not actually changing the images hardly ever. I'm usually just, um, you know, laying them out in some sort of pattern and then, and then exporting them to a, a single PNG. Um, the other thing I use on, on the Mac is an app called napkin, uh, by a, by a developer by aged and distilled. That's guy English and Chris Parrish. Yeah. I was, yeah. Guy's been on the show. Yeah. It's a great app. It's a fantastic app, uh, especially when you're dealing with anything that has, you know, small detail that really, really want to pull out and highlight for a reader. It's, it's a great way to create, you know, you can, you can create a loop that magnifies a specific area and do text around it and, and that sort of thing. And I've found that to be really great, especially when we're doing workflows or answering reader questions in our, in our club newsletter. Yeah. There used to be an app. It was by some Australian guys. I forget the name of it now. But it was just like that. It would allow you to easily annotate any image. You remember that one, Katie? I'm sure we talked about it on the show years ago, but it kind of went away. Or I think they got acquired by Evernote or something. It was well, like, Are you talking about Skitch? But Skitch is going away too. Yeah. Is it gone away entirely? It's not gone, but it's almost gone. Yes. And it would never really worked on iOS. Um, they At some point, they it seemed like they had abandoned it for a while and then they came out with an extension that was supposed to allow you to edit in place but it never really worked and then they then they they officially abandoned the iOS app but i think they may still i don't i'm not sure if they've abandoned the mac entirely i think it's still available for mac but not iOS and i think that's maybe a question of time yeah i think so too napkin always felt to me like the second generation of sketch like really just kind of ticking up a notch Katie, now we were talking about using Pixelmator to edit photos. Now that you've got an iPad Pro, are you doing, are you still doing your photo editing on a Mac or iPad or do you have a preference at this point? I still do most of it on the Mac just because that's where I do a lot of my photo management still. And I know that probably sounds bizarre, but the Pixelmator app on the iPad is great. Yeah, it is very nice. I'm just not as familiar with how to get to all the tools as well, I think, and, and manage all the layers as I should be. And that that's a lot of what, you know, a lot of when I'm using a Mac versus iOS, it's a lot of times it's just a level of comfort. And have I taken the time yet to really in-depth learn the, the tool that might be the equivalent on iOS? I think it's a bit of a road to madness when you just, you've got something that's working perfectly fine in one place and you're like, oh, I want to do it on this other thing that doesn't work as well. And, uh, but, but that's exactly the kind of stuff I just enjoy so much. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why I've been on the iPad train lately, because it's, it's, it is fun figuring this stuff out. And that like Federico, I have all these workflow workflows that do all kinds of crazy stuff. I started posting a few of them over Max Sparky. I don't know. It's fun for me. <laughs> everybody, uh, everybody has their sickness. That's one of mine. 
Right. It, no, it is a lot of fun. And, you know, we get pushed pretty hard by readers um, to come up with new ones all the time, because one of the things we do with the Club Max Stories newsletter is we solicit questions for workflows and, and Q&A. And so we're we're constantly trying to come up with with new stuff. Um, Federico does a lot of that. But Graham Spencer and I pitch in here and there. I um, and I do like to be able to do everything on iOS, even if it's not my preferred platform all the time, just because. You never know when you don't have your Mac with you. I like to be able to, I like the freedom of not having to bring my Mac and something like Pixelmator is something that I need to learn a little better, both on iOS so that I can use it more on that platform. Let, let's talk about Club Mac Story. So in addition to everything else you do, you're managing or you're playing a role in a monthly newsletter. It's monthly, right? Or is it weekly? Uh, it's weekly and monthly. <laughs> I'm doing it's a monthly one and I don't know how you guys do a weekly one. It's a little crazy sometimes. We're about to take two weeks off, which I, I feel like are are well deserved <laughs> and and earned. But I've only been doing it since about February, is when um, Federico and Grant, Graham Spencer's another author on on Mac Stories, and he uh, he and Federico were doing it all along by themselves, um, which I really don't know how they managed it, and they brought me on board to help out. Um, and it's, we've got, a, we've gotten very efficient at it. What we use, we use an app called Trello. We have two things to help organize it. One is Slack and the other is Trello. We have a Slack channel. That's just the three of us for organizing what we're going to do on, um, the club newsletter, which goes out every week plus one at the end of the month. So it's five a month. And Katie, don't you think we should start making Trello and Slack the drinking terms on Mac Power users? <laughs> Seems like we need something. What did it used to? Be? It used to be Terpstra. Yeah, it used to be Terpstra. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we we started off trying to do everything in Slack, and the problem was that things would get lost because Slack is really just you know it's it's like a, it's a messaging service. So if if we mention so and so is doing such and such, um, and it gets buried in the in the pile, uh, we might forget what was going on. So what we do now is every Monday we get on Slack early early in the morning my time, um, and we start talking about who's going to do what for that week, and we figure out what that's going to be, and then we go into Trello and we have. We have a we have a Trello section. We have a board called Club Max Stories, and we have a list for each of the different sections. So we have one for tips, and one for workflows, one for Q and A, um, and then we have one for the current issue that we're working on. And what we'll do is, if it's something that's already in Trello, we'll just drag over whatever that is whatever that item is into the current issue, and we'll put a label on it. And each of us has our color. I'm green and uh, indicating who's working on it. So the way that the, the Q&A and the workflows work uh, is a little unique because when someone, when a reader clicks on one of those buttons, the newsletter, it takes them to a Google form. They fill out the Google form with their question or their workflow request. That gets shot up through an online service called Zapier which is a little bit like IFTTT, but on steroids, you know, it's really super powerful. Some, I don't, I have not seen all the code behind this part of it, but there's some Python scripts that are run that reformat the question into Markdown and then drop it automatically into Trello. And once it's in Trello, any of us can pick, pick it up, assign it to ourselves or, and then drag it over to the current issue. And when we're ready to write about it, if you open up the Trello card, it has all it has the question in there. You can read through it. And at the bottom, there's a link and it says workflow. And if you tap that and you're on iOS, 
it will run a, a workflow workflow, actually two workflow workflows that do some more uh, formatting and drops it into your text editor of choice, which is for me, Ulysses, all pre-formatted the way we want it, which is question, name of the reader, if they've said we can use their name, their Twitter handle, and then it'll say John colon in bold. And then I can just start typing. And the, the benefit of doing it that way is that it's the same every time. So we don't have formatting issues. You know, Graham's not doing it one way and me another and Federico a third way. That way it's always consistent and very quick. Yeah. Always one of the challenges is when you have multiple people working, that's when all the hiccups come into the system. Yeah, exactly. And we still have a few here and there. Like, well, we, there's lots of little rules that we have for how we present stuff and invariably one of us forgets at some point, but, um, it, it works pretty well, especially with those workflows. Have you, I know you're so big on automation. Do you think there's what's left there? I mean, is there anything you really wish that you could automate that, that maybe you haven't yet, or um, maybe some low hanging, is there any low hanging fruit left or is there uh, technology that you still need to catch up with? At the moment, I'm pretty satisfied where things sit. I mean, a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, I might've said to you, I need a better way to upload images because the 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 way our our web app works is that when you you hit the plus button to upload an image you do that and then once it's it, it takes a while because it goes through two systems it goes through a service called Kraken which losslessly losslessly compresses it which then saves money on storage on Rackspace and then it transfers it over to Rackspace and so it takes a little while for that to happen and you have to then refresh the page and finally it's it's there. And then, you know, you can imagine after writing a bunch of articles, you've got hundreds of images and the new one is at the bottom. We have to change that. One thing we should do is put that in reverse order, um, but you have to scroll all the way to the bottom and then grab the link, which then appears at the top. Um, so that, that web app could use a little bit of work. Uh, and so I, I've been happy with using the, the Pythonista script though, because that just automates the whole thing. It just takes, all I have to do is go into my photo album, pick an image, go to the share sheet, and there's an app and you go to the action extension for Pythonista and pick this particular script and it uploads it to Rackspace and it has little status um, bubbles that pop up that say uploading and optimizing on, on Kraken and then uploading to Rackspace. Uh, and eventually it gets to, you know, it takes maybe five to 10 seconds for that process to happen. And at the end, it gives you a little, a uh, little success note and shows you the image. So, you know, it's up there and you know that the link you have, and it, it puts the link on the clipboard. So then I can just open up a text editor and drop it right in. Um, so that, that, that has been a big time saver recently. And the, the addition of Textastic as a way to edit right on GitHub has been a real nice time saver as well. So I, I don't have much more beyond that at the moment, um, but I'm sure we'll come up with something. I mean, there's probably more we could do with the, um, with the, with the newsletters, I think. Mm -hmm. All right. I want you to go back to your two hats. Yep. Okay. The, um, uh, so you're, I mean, as you've established, you're doing a lot of writing. Um, right. Uh, how do you keep track of your research and the stuff you're putting together, both as a lawyer and as a writer for Mac stories? I mean, just the basic research and, you know, this, you don't just start writing this stuff from scratch, I would imagine. No, that's true. Uh, and, and that I, I, probably could do a better job at. I, I do a, a combination of things. Um, Ulysses has the ability to put notes in a sidebar 
that I do sometimes. Um, but usually I'm using, sometimes I'm using an iOS app called Notebooks, which has, is a little bit like Evernote and then it lets you put a lot of rich content in there, whether it's web pages or images or movies or audio or text or whatever. Yeah, it's very free form. Yeah, we've had people write in about that recently as a potential Evernote replacement. Yeah, it's probably the best one that I've found. I just reviewed it about a week or two ago, um, and I was pretty happy with it. The The Mac app is not caught up to the iOS app that they have yet. It, the Mac app's newer, and it doesn't do as much. Um, but it's also a very uh, good PDF, has very good PDF, mar- PDF markup um, tools within it. Those are an in-app purchase on iOS, but I, I found those to be really useful. I mean, they do a lot of the same things you can get from something like PDF Expert or one of those other apps. It feels a lot like me, kind of like a successor to old this, the old Circus Ponies notebook app, and because yep. it, it follows the same kind of paradigm of actual notebooks. And if you're comfortable with that, it's a great way to kind of keep track of and add to information. Yeah, it's a paradigm that's been around for a long time. And I think with good reason, I think it, a lot of people are comfortable with that. Um, that the thing that I think people that developers struggle with is what's the balance? Because something like notebooks has a lot of things built into it. And it's got, you know, like I said, it's got a PDF editor, but it's not going to be as good as something like PDF expert or PDF pen pro or something like that, because it's just not meant to be. Um, if you really want to go into heavy duty editing, whether it's images or PDFs or audio or whatever you're throwing in there, you, you really are better off doing that outside the app and then storing it in there and just doing light edits within the app. So it's, that's a hard balance I think to get right for developers. I think notebooks has done a real good job of it on iOS. Um, but it's still limited. I mean, you can still do better with the P- dedicated PDF apps. It's a master of what's it? What's a jack of all trades, master of none. Exactly. So I use that some, but I also use the the notes app um, quite a bit uh, because it's just become it's it's become a much better app over time, and it has the nice previews of links and that sort of thing. Um, How do you decide between notebooks and Apple Notes? Um, the length of the project, if it's a really long review or um, more of a feature type article that's going to require a lot of research, I'll maybe use something like notebooks. But if it's just a, a relatively contained single app, maybe on iOS or something, I'll just throw everything into notes. Uh, and then I'll, you know, I'll download press kits and throw those. I have a folder just on my Mac on Dropbox where I drop everything Um like press press kits into when I download those off the web and I use notes. Uh, and sometimes I just use like NV alt and, and one writer to take, to take notes. Um, so those are kind of the main, the main things. Um, I also will do it just in my text editor. I'll, you know, I'll, instead of I'll, I'll write up top and then I'll hit return several times and just keep notes at the bottom as I think of things that I want to have in the review. If I haven't gotten down to that part of what I'm writing. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like they all work. The, the one thing is it sounds like you have a lot of tools that that would get confusing for me. It's like, well, where did I put that? You know, well, that, and, yes. And that's part of the problem. I've been meaning to kind of try to maybe, maybe uh, standardize it a little more because I do tend to do whatever I think of at the time. And then it, it things can get lost that way. That's the problem with being a geek is sometimes we have a problem with being a little too fiddly. Um, yes. With all of our systems. <laughs> And, and especially with writing for Mac stories, I mean, part of my job now is to be fiddly. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it, but that's hard because, um, at least with the things that I'm using to get my work done, 
you know, I try not to be too fiddly with it, except in spurts. Um, I'll kind of pick if I have a slower time when I'm not doing as much either writing or programming or whatever, I will then explore new apps and, and, you know, maybe try new things then, but I try to keep everything that's working and not broken the way it is until, uh, and just, you know, reserve the, the fiddling around for shorter periods of time. So I don't get down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Notebooks is a great example. We've had a lot of listeners write in and say, Hey, you guys really need to be using notebooks. It's really awesome. And I'm sure it is, but I have Apple notes solving a, a particular problem for me right now that I think would overlap notebooks. And then I would start to say, well, where did I put that? And where do I start? You know, you start adding this kind of mental baggage. Uh, at some point you got to pick a horse and get on it, you know? Right. No, you do. That was a hard, that was actually a really hard app to review. Not, uh, for any reason other than it just does so much. Um, and it does a lot of, it's great that it does a lot of things, but you can also kind of get lost in it. It's not definitely not like a super, a single purpose utility by any stretch. I want to take a moment and thank our next sponsor. And that is one password. And they have something really exciting to announce. And that is a brand new hosted service for individuals. Now don't freak out it's going to be okay. The 1Password has been working on this hosted platform for a while. They currently use it for both their Teams and family product, but now it's available for individual users as well. And when you switch over to the 1Password hosted platform, you get a slew of additional new benefits. Of course, there's the 1Password app that you know and love, but you also get built-in sync across all of your devices, data loss protection, access to all of your data on 1Password.com, item history and the ability to restore deleted or changed items, secure document storage, and a new multi-factor security item. So 1Password is using their new service, which provides the simplest and most feature-packed way to use 1Password. And they've got a new super affordable plan for individuals. It's just $2.99 a month. So if you want to use 1Password and you're an individual, $2.99 a month will get you access to all of these features and services and the entire range of 1Password apps across the board. They're always going to be updated. You never have to worry about buying them when a new version comes out, the $2.99 a month gets you covered. And because it's 1Password, they also have an amazing launch special. They, If you sign up now, you are going to get six months for free. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no fine print. Sign up for a new 1Password hosted account before September 21st. You're going to get six months for free. And of course, there's going to be a way to migrate your data across. Now, I know some of you are nervous. What's going to happen to 1Password? Am I going to have to switch? Am I going to lose my data? No. The 1Password product that you've been using for years is still available. You can still buy individual apps. You can still use your own cloud sync service or do a direct sync if that's what you still want to do. You can find all the details about this over at onepassword.com. You can learn more, decide if the hosted plan is right for you or decide if you want to stay where you are. But go check them out at onepassword.com. And thanks to everyone over at OnePassword for their continued support of the show. John, we've been going on for a while and we've just kind of touched the tip of the iceberg with some of the things that you're you're doing here. And before we run out of time, I, I want to touch on a couple of the stuff like programming. We've not really mentioned a, a lot about your, your programming background, but I know you do quite a bit of that. Um, I would imagine most of that, if not all of that, is Mac only because the tools right now are Mac only. Is that fair? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Um, I'll do some research on iOS if I'm look, trying to look up how to do something. Um, and I do have like there's an app called Dash, which uh, is a good documentation viewer on both Mac and iOS. And I'll use that. Sometimes I'll use my iPad as a second screen to have some uh, developer documentation up and available. But for the most part, yes, it is a Mac thing. It, it, 
can I just even wind back a little bit further? I mean, how are you as a practicing lawyer? How did you become a guy who releases apps? How did that happen? Yeah, it, it's pretty, it's a fairly long, it's, it, it goes back a ways because it goes back to when um, the iPhone was, was released, really. And my son, who was uh, Owen, who was 11 at the time, was really into trying to program. And I didn't know any better. And this new iPhone thing was out. I was like, well, maybe you should try this because he had tried a lot of, um, I don't know, simpler things and, and grew bored with them pretty quickly. Uh, so a lot of what got me into it was trying to find him resources back in the early days, because for the first six months or so, when the when the iPhone SDK came out, because back then it wasn't called iOS, um, when the I, iPhone SDK came out, it was under an NDA, which meant that nobody was writing about it on the web. There were no books. There were no videos or new t- no tutorials. There was nothing. Um, there were a handful of programming books for the Mac, uh, and that was really just about it. Uh, and the and the documentation, the official documentation, was really thin because it had just come out and uh, it came out with just bare bones documentation. So that I, I started off trying to find him resources, and after that first six months, it got a lot better. And you know, there's an explosion of materials now, uh, and I got to know some developers um, who helped point me in the right direction, and found things for him to do. Um, and over the years, just kind of it just kind of grew on me, and I got the itch. Uh, I had dabbled in it a little bit in the like 2010, 2011 and beyond, um, period. But it wasn't really until 2014 when I had the idea for my affiliate linking app at the beginning of 2014, because I'd gotten to know a lot of podcasters and writers and other people for my various trips to WWC and, um, knew that a lot of them were using affiliate links for apps and things as a way to supplement their income of their sites. Um, and it struck me as an, a good problem to try to solve as a beginner, because when you think about it, you know, an affiliate link is just a URL to the iTunes store, the app store, whatever store it is with a little text tacked at the end. But it's a really a pain in the butt to do that, especially on an iPhone or an iPad, because those are alphanumeric strings that are kind of arbitrary that you add to the end. So you're switching between the keyboards and everything. And everybody had their kind of special system on the Mac, like um, like um, Text Expander or Keyboard Maestro. But there weren't any really good solutions at the time on iOS. So I talked to some people that year in 2014 at WWC, some writers and other people to get an idea of where they thought it was uh, something they might use. And I got enough positive feedback that I decided to go for it. And I spent like the next almost 15 months or so, 16 months uh, writing the app and then released it in early 2015. it's also kind of a great way to get some exposure to your audience is because the bloggers are going to love it. Yes. Yes. Um, and it was pretty funny. My, my, when I, when I was writing it, really the person I had in mind more than any one person was Federico, uh, because, uh, it seemed like a problem that, that would be perfect for him. And that's how we really got to know each other. And look how that turned out. 
Yep, worked out all right. Um, yeah, it was the very first year I went to WWC was 2013, and my son had gotten one of those student scholarships that year. And it was so frustrating because as a parent, I was allowed to go into Moscone, but they wouldn't let me into any sessions. <laughs> so it was driving me insane. I'm just going to be sitting here outside. <laughs> Waiting. Yeah, they, I got I got to go buy T-shirts in the little store and look at some of the things in the hallway and eat the snacks. Um, <laughs> and I could go. There was like a it was almost like a parents holding pen where the students could go and, and hang out. And they had incredibly fast Wi-Fi. I could, you know, and and uh, wired connections. I could use that. But uh, but it was frustrating to be that close and, and not actually be able to go any sessions. And I actually have never been to WWC. I've been trying to get tickets ever since. And I have not have not succeeded yet, but hopefully soon. Never Never won the lotto. Nope, never won the lotto, which is in some ways is good because it's very expensive. Um, and I've found more than enough to do every time I've gone there. I mean, this past year, I, I ended up interviewing developers um, almost all day long for four days for Mac Stories that we posted up on the site. So um, that was a lot of fun, a little tiring, but fun. But your, your app is still in active development, right? Yeah, it is. So, yeah, I've been working on that. Um, it's been a little quiet in the last six months or so, and I'm getting back to adding some new features now and fixing a couple of little edge case bugs. Um, and in the meantime, Owen has been working on bring it to the Mac and released a similar app for the Amazon affiliate program called Associate. And uh, basically on that one, I knew there was no way I was going to have the time to devote to it, to get it done. So I asked him to build it. Um, and I just worked on kind of the product design with him because it's, it's essentially in a lot of ways it's blink, but, uh, the iTunes affiliate app, but for Amazon. And, and then I did the marketing cause I, one thing I really have enjoyed like as a developer is learning kind of how to market an app and how to get buzz about it. So I spent a lot of time doing the market marketing business side of it. Well, you're a busy guy. It keeps me out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's, it's inspirational, though, that you're it sounds like you're entirely self-taught and you're releasing very high quality apps. No, oh, thanks. No, I, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's really cool to be able to build something and then see people using it and have people, you know, meet people who use it and hear that it's making their lives easier. So, I've, I, you know, that's something I don't think I'll ever give up because I really enjoy uh, just doing that sort of thing. We get this question all the time from people. So let me ask you, as someone who's done it, if someone maybe a little older in life or maybe even younger uh, wants to go into development, wants to develop an app, wants to dabble with it, maybe as a second career or, or maybe not. How do you get started? Are there, what were the resources that you found because you did this that were particularly helpful? What direction would you point them in? Yeah, it, it's it's hard because I think a lot of programmers lose sight of how they of how they learned it when they did it. Uh, it's still relatively fresh for me, and w one thing is just to kind of soak in it, um, read everything you can about it, even if you don't understand it. Um, that it, it, I found, at least for me personally, and the way I learned things, reading about it in a book didn't really help that much. It really helped to have a project. And while and Blink really wasn't my first app, I have um, like a little soundboard app that I did for the Bionic podcast um, way back in the day, which is still on the store. And I even did I did one for runners at one point, which was super simple, just pace calculator that's not on the store anymore. Um, and so I the probably the best way to learn is to pick a very simple project and try to create it. Uh, and then you can kind of reverse engineer it. You can say, okay, well, like for Blink, all I'm 
all I'm doing, uh, which is way oversimplifying it, is taking a URL and tacking on some letters and numbers at the end. How hard could that be? Well, eventually I found out that it's not, not that easy, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it's still a relatively narrow and solvable problem. And so then I had to learn about how you interact with the iTunes API, which is a returns a JSON dictionary from some website on app that Apple runs and had to figure out how you take a string of characters and add another string to it and append to the back end. So you kind of figure out what the problems are and work your way back and learn what you need to learn. And at the same time, by soaking in it, I think you can get the bigger picture too, because you do kind of need to, you have to understand what you don't understand. And one book that I liked a lot when I started out was by Matt Newberg. And it's been, it's been updated several times. It's called, let's see, I wrote it down here. It's called, well, the current one is iOS nine programming fundamentals. Um, that's a really good book because it just goes through at a high level, what it's all about. Um, and gives you an idea of what the, what's possible on iOS for development. Um, I haven't done, I've done only a little bit of Mac stuff, so I can't really speak to that particularly, but that's a good one if you're interested in iOS. And I also like the Stanford course. Stanford has a course they've had since the very beginning when iOS, the app store was first opened, um, that is on iTunes U and the Stanford course is very good because it starts at a fairly basic level of explaining how the iOS SDK is structured and how you're supposed, how you're supposed to go about building apps and how Apple, you know, kind of do do them the Apple way and what the various things are that you can make happen with that. Yeah. I think that that the real hard part is that first hump. I think mo- if you can get past, if you can actually get an Xcode, actually start to like make something, even something dumb and easy. I think you're, then a lot of people go a long way with it. But it seems to me like the, the hardest part is going from that, hey, this might be a fun idea to the point you build your first app, even just the ca- tip calculator, whatever. Right. There's so many different different things that you have to know because you have to know Xcode, which is a, a horribly complex. It's a great app, but it's very complex. There's a lot going on in there. Um, you have to know that. You have to know the syntax, the actual language itself that you're using. And then you need to know all the APIs that that Apple makes available because that's what makes what you're trying to do possible. So there's a lot of different pieces to it. I mean, I think Swift, the new Swift Playgrounds app that's coming out with um, iOS 10 on the iPad is another good resource. I've only played with it a little bit, but it's a very, uh, right now, the, the curriculum that they have is designed for kids in kind of, I think, the 10 to 15-year-old age range. But it's really good for anybody just because I'm only just learning Swift now. And um, it's a good it's a good resource to kind of very slowly build up to understanding what the syntax is and how you ha- how you actually write the Swift um, on a very basic level. And and what's really nice about that app too is that it's not just going to be limited to what Apple provides with this you know, this basic course that's in there now, but it's going to be open to publication from third parties. So I'm sure you'll see pretty quickly after iOS 10 comes out, all sorts of courses and other tutorials and things that people publish that you can open up on an iPad and play around with. Cause it lets you, you know, kind of type in, in one side and then see what happens on the other. It's, it's really neat. Yeah. And even though it's, it's engineered for, I, I would say someone even below the age of 15, really, but the, uh, Oh, I agree. I've, been, I've got the beta on my iPad and I've, I finished the first course and 
uh, it was fun for me. I enjoyed it. You know, I would do it in the evening, like just for an hour. And I've, I've already had some experience with Swift anyway, so it's not super new to me, but the, um, I think it's going to be very easy for people to pick this. I'm really glad Apple's doing this. Yeah, I think it's really neat. And when I look at it, I look at that special keyboard that they've designed for inputting code and it just feels to me like this is just the baby step forward so far. And that eventually we'll be making apps on the, on the uh, iPad itself, which would be really cool. I mean, that would, there's a lot of hurdles to get around with that because for instance, a lot of, a lot of times when you're programming, you want to have lots of things open at one time. You want to have, you know, your documentation and you want to have the um, Safari and whatever other tools you might use. Um, but I think it's coming eventually. Uh, it's a, it's a really great way to learn to program. And I, and I would encourage people to learn Swift first, if that's your first language too, if they want to program for the Mac or iOS now, because that really is the future. I, I had an argument with somebody about this over at WWDC. The problem I find is not that the, the iOS hardware is incapable of doing development work. I think the problem is the resources, the amount of resource files you need to build an app is it's pretty extensive. I mean, use a lot of space on your Mac. Yep. And I don't know how they're going to get around that problem. Maybe they'll put it in the cloud or something. I don't know what they're going to do, but it seems to me that's the real bottleneck is the resources. Yeah, it, it really is. It's There are a lot of hard problems to solve like that. And that's why I think we've just got playgrounds at this point. But, um, you know, you can take a playground, something you create in the Swift Playground app, and you can export it and then open it up in Xcode on a Mac and work on it from there, which is pretty nice. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. I am so pleased to have Squarespace as a sponsor of the Mac Power users. I remember back when setting up your own website was really difficult. The tools were lousy, the hosting was expensive, and ultimately you needed to hire someone to make anything that looked somewhat professional. For years now, Squarespace has been the solution to that problem. When you sign up for a Squarespace account, the first thing they show you are these beautiful, easy-to-use templates. They've got templates for every type of website from personal to professional to business. Just pick the template you like best and start customizing it to make it fit your needs. And when I say customizing, I'm not talking about hiring a coder to go in and reprogram it for you. You just drag elements of the screen and move them around with your mouse. If you want to add a picture gallery, you hit the little plus sign and then tap the picture gallery icon and you're off to the races. Anybody can do this. Whether you want to create a landing page or add social media, they've got all of the components right there. You just click and drag. My wife runs her own little Disney blog using Squarespace and it looks great. The best part is that once I showed her how it works, I never had to spend any more time maintaining her site for her. She just does it herself. But with Squarespace, not only do you get that beautiful engine to build your website, they also do all the hosting for you. Before I switched Max Sparky to Squarespace, I would occasionally get linked by a big website and it would pull my site down because the host couldn't keep up with the traffic. That's never been a case since I switched over to Squarespace. They scale to meet the traffic that gets thrown at my website. It's just great not having to worry about that problem anymore either. I could go on and on because I'm a happy customer myself. They have 24-7 support through live chat and email. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Portland so they can help you no matter where you are. They have a full commerce platform that lets anyone add a store to their Squarespace website. 
And they even have the ability to add a cover page so you can have a great looking single page website, maybe while you're building the full Squarespace website behind it. Plans start at $8 a month, and if you sign up for a year, you'll get a free domain name. The next time you or someone you know needs to build a new website, just go to squarespace.com. You don't even need a credit card to get started using the tools. When you decide to sign up, make sure to use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac Power users. We thank Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. John, uh, the one thing that I'm just so impressed with you is the amount of work you've been getting done. I mean, you're a juggler. Yeah, I, I do juggle a lot of different things. Wear a lot of hats. <laughs> so we, we heard that you wake up at five, that you you have you carry your day job. You're still getting work done at this other place, and you also uh, get your game blog post out every Saturday, which means you're playing a game at some point. Yes, that's that's the ride. That's the ride home. <laughs> You did say that you uh, you rode the bus or, or did public transit, so I guess that's okay. Yes, yes, yeah. I, I mean, the way I get it, part of what the way I've been getting it done, frankly, is is just brute force, <laughs> brute force the problem, which is just work a ton. Um, I'm trying to do work a little smarter now too. I mean, one reason I decided that I could do that that game review every Saturday morning is that um, what I can do is I'm usually too tired on the way home at night on the train to to do anything other than play a game. So I'll pick out a game, you know, usually Monday or Tuesday. Um, download it, talk to Federico and make sure we're both on the same page and agree that that's a good one to do. And then, um, play it for a couple, two, three days on the way home and then write something up. Usually not till a lot of times I don't write that till Friday or even the morning of, um, they tend to be fairly short. Uh, games are pretty easy to review in like 500 words or so. So the, the, that's not too hard other than writing Friday and set Friday night and Saturday morning sometimes isn't the most fun thing. I, I will admit that, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, so I guess a typical day is I get up early, work for, write for a few hours, usually during the weekdays, um, maybe write a little bit at lunch when I take a break from the day job, and then I'll do a couple hours when I get home. Um, so, you know, anywhere from four to six hours a day of the side stuff. Um, and then on the week, weekends are usually when I do the coding. Um, it's very hard to get that done during the middle of the week. Um, and then on Sundays I record on every other Sunday, I record a podcast at like 7am. Um, I, I try to stay away from hard deadlines because with my job during the day, it can be, you know, it can be hard to keep hard commitments like that. Although I'm doing more that requires specific deadlines, like the newsletter. I mean, that comes out every Friday around nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. So I've got to get that done. And the hardest thing with that usually is I do a column for the newsletter. I don't do it every week. I do it maybe two to three times a month. Um, that's usually about developer stuff. Usually a lot of time and not, not like coding developer stuff, usually things around business, um, whether it's marketing or, or finding time to get everything done, that, that sort of stuff, um, more the touchy feely side of, of app development. And that one's probably the hardest because it usually takes me a while to come up with a good topic and then write it. Um, so that one, that one I, I don't do every week and it's a good thing I don't. I feel being, I'm, I'm like, I'm being a little indulgent, but it, it, uh, I, I think Katie and I both understand fully what you're going through because we do the same thing. Yeah. And, um, it's interesting because you've got these two sides of your life and the people that are talking to lawyer John have no idea that you're 
putting all this great stuff together on the side and the people that are consuming the stuff at Mac Stories don't know that you're also solving really hard problems every day at the office for for big companies. And um, it, it's it's kind of fun living the double life, but it can be difficult too. Uh, I, I suspect that there's a certain amount of passion involved because otherwise you could never sustain that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I really love the, the writing and the programming. I couldn't give it up. Um, those two especially. And, uh, it's what really keeps, it sustains me. It keeps me going. I mean, there are times when, when the worlds collide and it gets difficult. Um, this last week has been kind of, kind of that way. Um, but you know, as long as you stay flexible and, and don't have too many hard deadlines, you, I, I've found that I can usually get it done. It's just a matter of pushing through the hard bits and then, and then pl- and planning well. How do you keep track of everything that you have to do? Is it calendar based? Is it list based? Is it a GTD type app? Or is it all through a system that Mac Stories manages? What, what are you using? Well, I, I usually use my main tool is to do um, on iOS and, and on the Mac. Um, I use that app to track. Um, you know, I've got like project files for everything that I do. Um, whether it's just home stuff or, or writing or programming or whatever. So I use that a lot. Um, but a lot of times I also will use a notebook or just task paper. Like I'll take out a field notes notebook on a Sunday afternoon and I'll kind of plan out my week and figure out because a lot of times I'll have, there'll be an app that I'm reviewing or something and I'll know what day it's coming out. So I've got to have it done and ready uh, by the time it launches. So I'll, I'll map out what days those are, um, for the next week and then fill in. All right. Well, this is what I'm doing for the, the newsletter. And here's what I, these other things I have to do. And I try to keep it down to just the critical items, not, not the nice to do's, but the things that have to get done. And I try to keep that no more than three or four items. And I can usually keep it down to that. Um, and I do the same thing kind of in the morning, most mornings on the way into work, I'll, I'll say, all right, well, I need to get this review done and I need to do this and I need to do something else. And those will be the, the three things that I know I can get done and I have to get done. Um, and sometimes I do that in a notebook. Sometimes I do that in task paper. I don't use task paper a lot, but I do kind of like it because for its simplicity. Uh, and, and I can also see it on both iOS and Mac, which is really critical for me just because I bounce b- b- between the two so much. I really don't like using apps that don't have a component or at least an equivalent on both platforms. Um, so that's typically how I do it. Lately has been a little more complicated because Federico's in the midst of doing his gigantic iOS 10 review. And so I've been taking up a little bit more responsibility in doing the link posts. Um, and so Mondays through Wednesdays can be a little bit more crazy because that's usually when most of the Apple news hits. And, you know, I, we don't usually do more than two or three of those in any given day. Um, but lately I've been doing a, a fair amount of them. Um, and that, that can kind of throw my schedule into, into a tailspin a little bit. I think, you know, no matter what tool you use, so much of the, your ability to be successful at this stuff is your ability to just limit the amount of things you take on. Right. I know that sounds silly talking to a guy who develops apps and writes and does lawyering, but but I really believe that even in the fact that you've got many areas of responsibility, it sounds to me like you've done a really good job of of not biting off more than you can chew in any particular one. 
Yeah, I, I try not to. I mean, every now and then it gets a little overwhelming, but I think planning it out a little bit in advance too helps a lot just so you can see over the horizon. I try not to be in that spot where I'm working furiously on one thing and I put my head up and I was like, oh, there are three more things I have to do by tomorrow. I try not to get myself into that position as much as I can. What is the hardest thing for you to do with, with all this juggling going on? I mean, what's the thing that really drills you once in a while? Um, I have to be careful not to burn myself out because I do enjoy it so much that left to my own devices, sometimes I just won't ever put it down. Um, and I'll find myself just writing all weekend and you know, that's not good. I need to take breaks and and not neglect my family and that sort of thing. Uh, so I, I do try to schedule in time where I, where I'm just not doing anything at all, uh, other than just taking it easy. I came out of WWC a little right on the edge of burnout because, um, in May and June and in, in May into the early part of June, I was writing a, uh, in May, I did a, a talk at CocoConf in Chicago about app marketing. And then I immediately went from that into doing a long article on app discovery and all the problems there, which took a lot of research and a lot of time. And then I was clearing the decks to get ready to go to WWC. So I wrote a lot of things that were kind of in the, in the queue and got them out of the way. And then I went to WWC and interviewed like 20 people and and wrote about it. I wrote like, you know, a three or 4,000 word article about it after I came back. So at the end of that, I was really kind of on the edge of just like total frazzled um, and had to kind of step back for a little while. So it's, it's that kind of thing is avoiding it. You know, I, I do a pretty good job of juggling it, but every now and then things get a little nuts and I expect it's going to get a little nuts in September again, when everything it's again, is real. Yeah. Everything gets released. I mean, I've got a few Federico's doing iOS 10. Um, I've got more ancillary stuff like Apple TV and, and, um, and Apple pay on Safari, but which shouldn't take that much, wouldn't, shouldn't be that hard to get done, but uh, it's going to be, there's just going to be a lot going on and there'll be a lot of little things to write about in that period. I think one of the blessings for you was that your son is really into programming as well. And you guys have found that it's not just something you're doing because your kid's interested in it. You're, you're passionate about it as well. Right. So spending a Saturday programming with your son is actually time with your son. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And that's a good point. I mean, that has been a big, a big thing for us. And we actually are collaborating more now than we ever have. I mean, Early on, it was more me finding things for him and him doing it on his own. And it's kind of evolved into we're both working on some of the same projects together. He's, you know, he's doing what his forte is, which is the programming, and I'm doing more of the business end of things. All right, John. Well, you definitely wear many hats and uh, I don't envy you. It's a lot to juggle. I think David and I have have both been there and uh, I wish you the best of luck in continuing with it. No, thanks a lot. It's been a great time talking to both of you. So where can people find you? Obviously, we mentioned it at Mac Stories, but uh, what's the best place to find you on the web? Well, on Twitter, you can find me. I'm at John Voorhees. It's J-O-H-N-V-O-O-R-H-E-S. Um, my app company is called Squibner. So it's Squibner.com, S-Q-U-I-B-N-E-R.com. That's where you find the app. There's got to be a story there. Uh, it's a made, it's just a made up word. It's a little bit of a combination of Scrivener and Squib, um, which is kind of lawyerly, writerly thing, but it's made up and relatively easy despite being made up for people to figure out how to spell it. Um, and it was available. So that's kind of where that came from, (laughs) but that's where, um, you can find all of our app projects and, and things. And then of course, over at Mac stories, um, you'll see my byline pretty regularly. Awesome. Well, uh, if, 
you want to follow up on anything that we've talked about in this episode, obviously we do have that uh, MPU live show that we do once a month. And don't forget that we've got that members only show that's coming out uh, sometime later this month, maybe next week, maybe the week following, but stay tuned members. And there'll be a special feed that uh, Relay will advertise to you, letting you know how to subscribe to all of those shows. If you're not a member, you can go uh, subscribe on our website at relay.fm slash MPU, become a member. And also on that website, you can find links to all of our past shows, uh, as well as links to everything that we talked about in this show. Uh, and David, where can people find us? Well, that's a good question. If you go over to relay.fm slash MPU, you can find all of our shows. Also, if you go to um, MacPowerUsers.com, it directs to a secret page at Relay that has a list of all of our shows on it. I really recommend people do that because there's a lot of great content there in the back. If you want to find us on Twitter, we are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I am at MacSparky. And finally, if you want to get us an email, Send it over to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. All right. Well, thank you to our sponsors for this episode. That would be Smile, Fujitsu, 1Password, and Squarespace. And we will see you all next time.